This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Tonight, tomorrow, we still have a few days before Tisha B'Av. But it's interesting because Tisha B'Av is going to be the happiest day in the Jewish calendar. Eventually, Tisha B'Av, the ninth B'Av, which right now is the saddest day in the calendar, will be eventually the happiest day in the Jewish calendar. Tisha B'Av will be the happiest day of the, of the Jewish calendar. And when the Mashiach comes, we're all going to celebrate. It's going to be a day of Simcha, rejoicing. Ezra Hashem speedily will see this together. We'll all witness this coming of the Mashiach. It will be something terrific. Hopefully it will come with chesed, with kindness. And uh, we'll all rejoice together in Yerushalayim, Irakodesh. We'll see the building of the Beit HaMikdash, Bezrat Hashem. So Tisha B'Av has a duality to it. Tisha B'Av should have been the happiest day of the Jewish calendar. Why? Because that was the day on which the Jews were meant to enter Israel under Moshe Rabbeinu. In the time of Moses in the desert, they came out of Egypt, they got the Torah, they built the Mishkan, and they're on their way to Eretz Yisrael, And they should have arrived and entered the land of Israel on the 9th of Av, instead of which the the, the spies, the 10 bad spies came out and they gave a bad report about the land of Israel. And instead of entering the land of Israel in Tisha B'Av, they were crying for no reason, for despair. They were crying in despair, want to go back to Egypt. Disaster. They wanted to go back to Egypt instead of coming into the land of Israel under Moshe Rabbeinu and the guidance of God. And Hashem would fight their wars for them. They never had enough bitachon, enough emunah, enough uh, strength of character to be able to go into Israel. The whole generation had to die out in 40 years in the desert. And that's why, that's the first reason why Tisha B'Av became an ha- unhappy day. It was meant to be the happiest day in the Jewish calendar. And Bezrat Hashem, one day again, it will become the happiest day in the Jewish calendar, a day of rejoicing. So number one, what different th- events happened on Tisha B'Av. We're just going to go through some historical events that happened on Tisha B'Av that made it into a sad day. Number one is the sin of the spies. The 12 spies went to spy the land of Israel, uh, which Hashem said, you want to send them, Moshe? Shalach lechan Hashem. You, you can send them if you want. I don't need you to send them. If you want to send them, send them. And Moshe Rabbeinu goes and sends the spies. Would have been better if he wouldn't have sent the spies, but there was a lot of pressure. You can understand the pressure the Jewish people wanted to know what kind of land they're going into. They didn't exactly trust Hashem's judgment, and they wanted to go and send spies. Moshe Rabbeinu sent spies. Ten spies come back with a bad report. The Jews cry. Two spies came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb, and they were rewarded that they would enter the land of Israel. Joshua is going to be the new leader who's going to lead the Jews into Israel. Caleb also went into the land of Israel. He got the city of Hebron. Hebron was at one time the capital city of the tribe of Judah. And under King David, we talked about in our series on King David, that was his first kingdom. The tribe of Judah was his first kingdom. He reigned in Hebron, the capital city of Judah, for seven years. Seven years, King David was the king of uh, Judah, the capital city of Hebron. And Caleb was the one who who was uh, given the city of Hebron. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. He was the head of the tribe of Judah. And the sin of the spies, Tisha B'Av, first event, the sin of the spies, Hashem decreed the whole uh, generation over the age of 20, 
would pass away, all the men, the women never sinned. Women never cried. The women had emuna. They had trust in God. That, that generation of women were totally righteous. They survived and they went into Israel. But the men of that age died out in the desert. And uh, the night they cried and were condemned to die in the desert was Tisha B'Av, so the night of Av. So Hashem said, you cry for nothing. I'm going to give you something to cry about. Unfortunately, we have one thing to cry about. And we have number two, the, the destruction of the first temple. 586 BCE, 586 BCE, in the time of King Sipkiyahu, Sedekiah, Sipkiyahu, Hamelech, on the 10th of Tevet, which is another fast day, the Babylonians besieged the city of Jerusalem. The siege lasted for two and a half years. Can you imagine? The siege around Jerusalem lasted in the first temple period. Two and a half years, the Babylonians were sieging Yerushalayim. They couldn't take it. And they were besieging it. No food would go in. No people could get out. Nothing could happen. And until they broke through the walls of Jerusalem on the 10th of Tibet, which is that first fast day. And they finally, two and a half years later, they burned the Beit HaMikdash. And it burned from the 9th of Av all the way to the 10th of Av. And that's the reason why some customs are people don't eat meat on the 10th of Av. Why? Because the main burning of the temple was on the 10th of Av. So we mourn on the 9th of Av. We cannot fast two days. We mourn on the 9th of Av, but the burning of the temple lasted all day and all night into the 10th of Av, unfortunately. So, okay, so that is the first temple, 586 BCE, in the time of King Sedekiahu by the Babylonians. And the night of Ab, close to sunset, the Babylonians ignited the fire that burnt Abed and Dash during the whole night. And the following day, the temple was burning. Imagine two days of burning. Thousands of Jews were slaughtered, enslaved, or exiled by the Babylonians. And that whole story is brought down in Megillat Echa, which is written by Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, Hanavi, which is what we read on the night of Tisha B'Av. We sit on the floor, we cry, we read the book of Echa, a terrible book of destruction. It's one of the five Megillot. Echa is written by Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, Hanavi, book of destruction. He witnessed the destruction. He had predicted the destruction. He had warned the Jews, do Teshuvah, do Teshuvah, do Teshuvah. They didn't do Teshuvah. And this prediction came true, and he witnessed the destruction, and he was weeping and crying and mourning with the Jewish people. I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you listen to me? Unfortunately, Jews did not listen to many prophets, and Yirmiyahu was one of the one of the last prophets in the time of the first temple, and he also went into exile. Um, eventually, he ended up in Egypt, and he died in Egypt. So terrible. He was taken into exile by the Jews themselves. They ran away to Egypt. They were scared of the Babylonians. And they rebelled against again the Babylonians with Gedalia. The fast, the fast of Gedalia was during the time of the destruction of the second temple, the first temple. And uh, Gedalia was the general in charge of, put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar after the destruction of the temple. And eventually the Jews killed him. Ishmael ben Netanyahu killed Gedalia, and the Jews had to flee, and they fled to Egypt. They took Yirmiyahu with them, and he died in Egypt. Terrible. Okay, so that is the first temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av, 586 BCE. That's the second event. Number three, Khurban by Cheni. The second temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av, 68 CE. 68 CE. On the 17th of Tammuz, which is another fast day, if you fasted already, Three, about three weeks ago, the Romans broke through the walls of Jerusalem 
Titus, who eventually became the emperor of Rome, who was the son of Vespasian. Vespasian started the siege we're going to talk about, and uh, Titus finishes off the siege, smashes through the walls. And the following three weeks, they pillaged the city, destroyed everything they saw, killed tens of thousands of Jews. On the ninth of Av, they destroyed our second temple, which was a beautiful edifice built by the were beautified by the King Herod. Uh, the Romans themselves did not want to destroy the Second Temple. It was such a beautiful building. They just couldn't help it. The Jews fought so fiercely and they lost so many men, they decided they're going to destroy everything. So they destroyed the Second Temple. On the, on the ninth of Av, again, hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. Many were sold into slavery or exile. It says that the, the, these markets of Rome were full of Jewish slaves. The markets of Rome were full of Jewish slaves. You have to understand what it's like. The money that Titus pillaged and uh, took away from the temple, he used to build the Roman Colosseum. People don't realize when the temple was destroyed, now Titus built the Colosseum in Rome from the money he found in the Bed of Migdash, he found in the Yushalayim, all the money the kings of Israel of Judah had, had, had stored up. Titus took all the money, built the Colosseum, and the Jewish slaves built the Roman Colosseum. That's ironic. We lost our temple, and they built their temple. Terrible temple. It's all human uh, passions, uh, lions eating human beings. Can you imagine the Colosseum in Rome, where they had all their famous uh, debauchery and murder and uh, entertainment, their so-called entertainment. We had to build it. Uh, the slaves from Israel were taken away, captured by the Romans. The money taken from the temple was used to build the Roman Colosseum. Oh, that's a terrible irony. Hashem says, you, you don't do my will. I'm going to use you to do the Romans' will. You're going to be slaves to Rome. Instead of being my servants in Yerushalayim, instead of using my temple for holy purposes, everything is going to be used to build the Colosseum. Atta tuma, atta defilement in the Colosseum. Okay, it's very ironic. That's number three. The second temple was destroyed. And uh, the Talmud says, we're going to talk about why was the second temple destroyed? Why was the first temple destroyed? Um, and the Gemara says that they destroyed a destroyed building. What does that mean? Hashem had left the temple. His presence had left the temple. It was open to be destroyed. So spiritually, it was destroyed already. They destroyed a destroyed building. You have to understand that. that there's two aspects to life, the spiritual and the physical. Sometimes spiritually, a person may be walking around, but they're dead already. Their soul has left them. Sometimes, uh, it says a rasha, and his lifetime is called dead. A tzaddik and his death is called alive. So there's two aspects, two dimensions. We're living in two dimensions, the physical dimension, the spiritual dimension. In, in the temple itself, also living in two dimensions, the physical dimension, the spiritual dimension, the spiritual dimension, the temple was already destroyed. The, uh, sh- the Shekhinah's presence, whatever that is, God's presence had left the Beit HaMikdash and it was now spiritually destroyed, waiting to be physically destroyed. So Titus destroyed a destroyed building. That's what the one says. Titus destroyed already a destroyed building. Okay, we're moving on. Number four, the fourth event happened during the Bar Kokhla revolt. People don't realize that uh, the temple was destroyed, but Jewish life in Roman Palestine, they gave it the name. The Romans gave it the name Palestine, not yet. 
But after the Bar Kokhba revolt, they were so sick of the Jews, they wanted to remove the name Judea. People don't realize that uh, the Jews nearly destroyed the power of Rome. That the Roman might of their armies were being destroyed by the Jews in Judea. It was the worst uprising the Romans ever experienced. Nearly destroyed their empire. And that's why they had so much. They took out their vengeance on the Jews. They took out their vengeance. They destroyed us. They destroyed the land of Israel for the next 2,000 years. They put salt everywhere. They threw rocks everywhere. They burned down all the trees. They destroyed the land. They even changed its name to Palestine. So they wanted to get rid of They got it from the Philistines, I guess. The Palestinian was based on the Philistines. And they changed the name of Israel. Imagine they took, they wanted to remove the name of Judea from the world. They wanted to destroy it because Judea had nearly destroyed the Roman Empire. We have to understand that. We had, we single-handedly were the fiercest people in the world at that time. The Jews were one of the fiercest people in the world. And that's in 135 CE. 135 CE, the great Bar Kokhba revolt. And it says Rabbi Kiva made one of the biggest mistakes in his life. He thought Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach. Bar Kokhba was this mighty warrior. We can't even imagine it said he would hurl stones at the Roman troops single-handedly would catch the catapults. The Roman catapults would throw these massive boulders and Bar Kokhba would catch them and throw them back. So he was this mighty warrior. He had mighty men underneath. He could train the, a new Jewish army. Um, 135 CE, so just 65 years after destruction, 65, 67, he laid already the stones of the Third Temple. He started putting the foundations of the Third Temple in Jerusalem. He started rebuilding the Temple. And it's very tragic that uh, it wasn't the right time. Rakiba made a big mistake. He thought Barkov was the Mashiach. A lot of people joined Bar Kokhba's revolt, and eventually the Romans came with tremendous, tremendous uh, vengeance and slaughter, and they slaughtered, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of Jews, hundreds of thousands of Jews. That's called the third event of Tisha B'Av, 135 CE. The Jews under Bar Kokhba revolted. The revolt was crushed by the Roman Emperor Hadrian. Hadrian was one of the worst, as, as far as we, we you know, we're, we're concerned, the Roman Emperor Hadrian was one of the worst. Um, the city of Betar, or according to Sephardim, it's Beter, was captured by the enemy on Tisha B'Av. Over 100,000 Jews were slaughtered. Their bodies were left unburied. The Gemara says in Gitin uh, that Hadrian killed 4 million Jews. Hard to imagine. But we do know that 10% of the Roman Empire were Jewish. Hard to imagine. 10% of the known, imagine, all the Jews in the known world, maybe the, uh, the known world, maybe there were 80 million people or less. The Roman Empire was 40 million people, 4 million Jews. 10% of the Roman, some people say 7 million Jews. 10% of the Roman Empire was Jewish. The Romans were scared. The Jews were all over the world. And everywhere they revolted. Imagine they were revolted in Egypt, they revolted in Cyprus, they revolted in Rome, they revolted everywhere in the Roman Empire. Jews were revolting. The Romans put it down with great atrocities. They were scared their empire is going to crumble. Nearly did. But that's why they took out their vengeance on the Jews. They crushed this revolt. And Israel was no more in the land until 
the exiles started coming back after the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, 1492, we're going to talk about uh, the Spanish first exiles first came back to uh, Israel from uh, Spain through Turkey. Turkey at that time controlled Israel, and the Jews started coming back to Sfat, Yerushalayim, Tiberia, and they started rehabilitating the land of Israel, which was a barren wilderness. We have evidence by Mark Twain. He writes about his travels to Israel. And uh, he says it was a barren wilderness, terrible barren of Romans. Their destruction lasted for 1,800 years till the Jews started coming back. In the, the first Aliyah, the second Aliyah uh, from Europe, and they came back and they started rebuilding the land. And the land, which was barren before, started giving its fruit. Miracle, miracle, it says one of the signs of Mashiach is, if you see the land of Israel producing fruit, it's one of the signs of Mashiach. Okay, we have the signs. We're just waiting for the guy to show up. Mashiach, our king, will show up one day. Who knows who it is? And as Rabbi Shem, things will get better. But the land of Israel is thriving right now. It's thriving in front of our very eyes. I've never seen so much building and construction and prices increasing <laughs> as, we, as we talk. Inflation, yes, inflation. People talk about inflation just the last year or so. But in the land of Israel, the house prices have gone up double, triple, I don't know, my lifetime. I don't know, maybe 10 times. The prices have gone up 10 times, maybe, I don't know. Okay, so that's Betar, the, the destruction of Betar, the third, uh, the fourth event. So number one was the, the sin of the spies. Number two, the first temple was destroyed, 586 BC. Sin of the spies was 1300 BCE, around 1300. Approximately 1300, 1313 BCE, the sin of the spies. The, the first temple was destroyed 586 BCE. The, the second temple was destroyed around 68 CE. The destruction of Betar and destruction of Bar Kokhba's revolt in 135 CE. Number five, around that period, the temple's holiest area and the surroundings were plowed over. So on the day of Tisha B'Av, the Romans plowed over the temple, and uh, the Romans, Jerusalem was turned into a pagan city and renamed, it's in uh, Italian, Rome and Latin, Aelia Capitolina, and Jewish access to Jerusalem was forbidden. Imagine, no Jews, the Romans did not allow Jews to go back to Jerusalem anymore. No Jews were allowed in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was empty of Jews. The Ramban Nachmanides, when he moves to Israel, this is already in the 12th century, 13th century, he says there was no minyan of Jews in Jerusalem. He made a minyan. He built one of the first synagogues in Jerusalem for 1,100 years. That's the synagogue, the Ramban Nachmanides, which is still there today. Thank God, in the old city, there's a synagogue called the synagogue of Nachmanides. It's right next to the Churba, if you know what I'm talking about, the old city. And there they have Minyanim around the clock, thank God. So the Ramban Nachmanides, famous biblical commentator, rabbi, philosopher, doctor, um, just after Maimonides. So Nachmanides, Ramban just after Maimonides, he was he had a famous disputation in Spain with a Christian priest, and he won the disputation. His reward was he had to run away. 
before they killed him. <laughs> so he ran away, which is good for him. He ran away in his old age. And he went to Israel, Baruch Hashem. He went to Israel and he built the synagogue, the Ramban, in the land of Israel, in Yerushalayim, Kodesh. And, you know, I was, I was visiting Hebron, I think it was last year, and outside Machpelah, I see people standing around, say, what are they doing? And the answer is they went to visit the grave of the Ramban. He's buried just outside the cave of Machpelah. If you go to Hebron, you see the cave of Machpelah on the right side before you go up the steps. Outside of the grass, there is reputedly the Ramban Nachmanadim was buried there. So if you're there, go say something. You live by the grave of the great Ramban, who was one of the first great rabbis to move back to Israel. So for 1,200 years, come out of 1,200 years, Jews were not allowed. We know that during the Crusades, it's interesting, when the, when the Crusaders invaded Jerusalem, they killed Jews and Muslims. When the Muslims invaded Jerusalem, they killed Jews. So either way, we're lost between the Christians and the Muslims. Um, it's terrible. So the destruction of Beit was the final destruction of the land of Israel, totally destroyed. Um, the Galilee seems to have survived because the, the general of the Galil under Bar was a guy called Josephus, um, Yosef ben Matityahu, who surrendered after the city of Gamla was destroyed by the Romans. The city of Gamla was a city where Josephus was, had his headquarters in Golan. In the Golan, you can go there and see the remnants of Gamla. The Romans destroyed Gamla just like they destroyed Masada the same time period. That was the Bar Kokhba revolt. They destroyed Gamla, they went to destroy Masada, but the rest of the Galil survived. Why? Because Josephus said it's impossible to fight the might of Rome. He surrendered and he became the official Roman historian. He's one of the official Roman historians. He wrote, it's very important to get these books, History of the Jews. You can buy paperback by Josephus, translated from the Latin into English. It's interesting. It's one of the books that Shukhanah says you can read on Shabbat. Um, history of the Jews. Good to know history about the Jews. So you see, it's a very tragic account of uh, the destruction of Israel under the Romans during the Bar revolt, following the Bar revolt. And number five, we said, was the temple was plowed over by the Romans on the 9th of Av, and they turned Jerusalem into a pagan city, and they prohibited Jews from going into Jerusalem. Okay, now other events. Now these are modern, more modern events that happened on the 9th of Av. 1096, the first crusade started on the 9th of Av. Can you imagine? In 1096, killing 10,000 Jews in the first month. Hard to imagine. The crusaders, when they walked through Europe on their way to Israel, they would kill all the Jews in their path. Terrible, terrible, terrible. The first crusade and the second crusade, the third crusade, every crusade, Tens of thousands of Jews were killed or baptized. You have to understand, either killed or baptized to Christianity. And they destroyed Jewish communities in France, in Germany, Rhineland. It says 1.2, hard to imagine these figures, 1.2 million Jews were killed during the Crusades. That's the figure. 1.2 million Jews were killed during the Crusades. 1290. On Tisha B'Av of 1290, July 18, 1290, the Jews were expelled from England. Not to imagine, right? So England expelled its Jews in 1290. On what day? Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av. 
1492. The Jews were expelled from Spain, which dates very easy. Tisha B'Av. Imagine. Everything bad happens on Tisha B'Av. It says Columbus was meant to set sail on Tisha B'Av to the New World. He had to postpone his sailing one day because the Jews were leaving Spain. All the ports were clogged with boats leaving Spain full of Jews. A lot of those Jews didn't make it, poor, poor Jews. Okay, let's go through the figures. So Jews lived in Spain for more than six centuries. Imagine 600 years we lived in Spain. That's where the Sephardim, originally the word Sephardi, Sephardad is Spain. The word Sephardi came from Spain. And uh, the Jews were in Spain 600 years. The golden age of Spain was under the, under the Muslims in Spain. Eventually, Christians conquered Spain with Jewish money. Unfortunately, a tragedy. We lend the money to the Christians. We thought we'd be better off under the Christians. The Christians conquered Spain. They throw out all the Muslims, and the next in line are the Jews. Okay, so we gave them money. We lent them the money. The treasurer of Spain was Don Yitzhak Abarbanel, famous rabbi who wrote commentaries on the whole of Tanakh, what a great man, Don Yitzhak Abarbanel. He was the treasurer of Ferdinand and Isabella. He gave them the money to conquer Spain, the rest of Spain, from the Muslims. And when they conquered Spain, they threw out the Jews. He pleaded with them. He begged with them. They tried to convert him to Christianity. Jews had two options, or three, three options. Convert, get killed, or vanish. So a lot of Jews stayed behind, called the conversos. The Christians called them the Moranos, uh, which means pigs, by the way. Moranos means pigs. And uh, so the conversos, I just want to give you the figures. It's a big debate. How many Jews were in Spain? Some people say there are at least 250,000 Jews in Spain, which is the largest population of Jews in Europe at that time. Ashkenazi were about 200,000, say 800,000 Jews were in Spain. The vast majority of Jews at that time was Fardim. Straight after the expulsion, the vast majority of Jews in Europe were Ashkenazi. So it's, it's amazing. 800,000 Jews saved. Now that's the figure mentioned by the historian Juan de Mariana. He says there were 800,000 Jews in Spain. Other, other opinions say there were 600,000 Jews. So let's take the median figure about 600,000 Jews in Spain. 200,000 Jews remained there as conversos. They never left Spain. You know, it's very, I get a very spooky feeling when I went to Spain. I see all these Spanish people walking around the streets. I said, how many of them had Jewish blood? I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe a quarter of them, half of them have Jewish blood because they're descendants of Moranos or, or Conversos. Can you imagine, it's hard to imagine. You go to Spain today, um, you see all the Spaniards walking around, and you think how many of them have Jewish blood in them. Anyway, it doesn't help. So 200,000 remained as conversos. 200,000 were either killed or died escaping from Spain. They went, the pirates got them. They died in the seas. They died on land, starvation. They went to Portugal. They were killed in Portugal. The same thing, a terrible disaster. They were so in Spain, they were expelled 1192. Sorry, 1492, they were expelled from Spain. They thought they're going to go to Portugal. They were expelled from Portugal in 1497. Five years later, they were expelled from Portugal. 200,000 managed to escape. They went to 
Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Turkey was the biggest colony of Spanish Jews, refugees that went to Greece. Salonika was a city of Spanish Jews. In fact, my old synagogue in Hanna Park, Eitzhachayim was remnants of the Jews of Salonika um, who were from Spain. In fact, the port of Salonika closed on Shabbat because all the stevedores were Jews. They spoke Ladino until they left, to left Greece. So, so it's interesting. Uh, under the Turks, uh, they thrived. When the Greeks took over, the, the, the Greeks were anti-Jews, anti-Semitic, and they helped the Nazis in the Second World War. A lot of them helped the Nazis to round out the Jews. Anyway, that's Jewish history. The Jews of Spain, very tragic. They moved all over the world, basically. They moved from Spain all around the Mediterranean, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Turkey, Greece, Egypt, Syria, Israel, Spat, Tiberia, and Jerusalem. And that was the first coming back of the Jews. First Aliyah back to Israel was the Sephardic Jews, the Spanish Jews who moved to Israel, followed another 200 years later by Ashkenazi Jews who started moving when the Baal Shem Tov and the Vilna Gaon started telling their students to move to Israel. It's interesting how the guys who moved to Israel were safer than the guys who stayed in Europe. It's amazing. The Holocaust pretty much destroyed European Jewry. The Vundagan and the Baal Shem Tov told their students, move to Israel, move to Israel. A lot of the students of the Vundagan. It's interesting. You, go, you see the uh, old Jews of Mea Sharim, and you can't tell the, the, I can't tell the difference between the students of the Baal Shem Tov and the students of the Vundagan. They all wear similar dress. It's interesting, I think. I know, I'm so confused. When I see them, I don't know who's who. But they all wear these kapatas and these uh, big strimals on Shabbat. You'll see who's who. Both the Vilnagan students, the Baal Shem Tov students, they both dress in similar ways. And they both, they all move. So the descendants are still in Yushalayim until today. These descendants of Baal Shem Tov. A lot of them are in Tiberia. Interesting, the Baal Shem Tov students moved to Tiberia. The Vilnagan students moved to uh, Yushalayim. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So, uh, so uh, 1492, Tisha Abbe'ah, 1492, expulsion from Spain. Let's move on. 1914, the First World War was declared on Tisha Abbe'ah. Tisha Abbe'ah, 1914, the 9th of Av. That led to tremendous upheaval of European Jewry and eventually led to the Second World War and the Holocaust. 1941, unbelievable. On August 2nd, 1941, which was Tisha B'Av, SS Commander Heinrich Himmler, Yemach Shemov received approval from the Nazi party for the final solution. Tisha B'Av, 1941. It's hard to believe all these things happened on Tisha B'Av. As a result, the Holocaust began. Almost one-third of the Jewish people in the world perished. Of one third, hard to imagine. One third of the Jewish people in the world killed during the Holocaust, where the final solution was approved on Tisha B'Av of 1941. 1942. Tisha B'Av, 1942, the mass deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto. Imagine, 1942, Tisha B'Av, the mass deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto. 
They were going taken to Treblinka to be burnt in Treblinka. Terrible. On the 10th of Av, 1994, bombing of the Jewish community center of Buenos Aires, killing 85 and injuring 300. July 18th, 1994. These are events right here. 2005, Israel's unilateral disengagement from Gaza under Sharon, the great General Sharon, the great hero of Israel, eventually thought he was too clever. He said, we'll give the Arabs Gaza. We don't want Gaza and we'll have peace. Yeah, good luck. The missiles started coming from Gaza. What they, he wanted to do, can you imagine? He wanted to do the disengagement on the 9th of Av. On Tisha B'Av, 2005, they told him, no, it's a bad day. Do it on the 10th of Av. So he pushed it for one day, but it still was a bad day for us. Synagogues were destroyed. Beautiful villages and hotels were given to the Arabs in Gaza. Greenhouses, some American Jews donated millions of dollars to the Palestinians. To, and they gave them all these greenhouses, advanced technology, drip irrigation. And that's where the missiles come from today. The missiles come from these places they gave back. One piece, we gave back Gaza, tremendous sacrifice. And we got missiles in return. And that is why, that's a warning to the Jews. That's why they don't talk about today giving back the West Bank. We saw what happened when we gave back Gaza. Anyone with eyes in their head will know what happens if Israel has no control over the West Bank will be a center for missiles and war and violence. Uh, so we gave back Gaza. Hopefully that's it. We learned our lesson. We can't give back land. So it started on the 10th of Av. Imagine 10th of Av in, 19, in 2005. Okay, we went through the events of Tisha B'Av. Hopefully that's it. The next event will be Mashiach. Happiness, rejoicing, on Tisha B'Av will turn back into a happy occasion. In fact, the Jews, when they went back to Israel after the first temple was destroyed, the prophet Zechariah was still alive. And they asked the prophet Zechariah, do we celebrate on Tisha B'Av now or not? And Zechariah said, since the temple is being rebuilt, he says, we fasting for our sins. We're not fasting for the destruction of the temple because now the temple is being rebuilt, but we're still fasting for our sins. There's a big discussion among the authorities that they fast on Tisha B'Av during the second temple period. So the answer is they never fasted for any other fast except for Yom Kippur, according to most authorities. That's the opinion of the Magin Abraham, brought down in Shulchan Aruch. They never fasted during the second temple on Tisha B'Av because the temple was being was rebuilt. However, the opinion of the Rambam in Perush HaMishnah, his commentary on the Mishnah, is that they did fast during the Second Temple, only Tisha B'Av. That was the only fast they had apart from Yom Kippur, because they fasting not for the destruction, but now for their sins. And anyway, so that's a discussion. And when the Third Temple is built, will we fast or not? The answer is probably not. It'll be a day of rejoicing. It'll be the biggest day of rejoicing as it was originally meant to be. Tisha B'Av was meant to be a day of rejoicing, as you mentioned. The day on which the Jews were scheduled to go into the land of Israel under Moshe Rabbeinu, amazing. Israel Hashem will see that in our time. It will become a day of rejoicing. I want to give out some interesting facts about what caused the destruction. What caused the destruction of the first temple and then the second temple? And this is an underlying theme of Tisha B'Av 
and that is brotherly hatred. Hatred of Jews for Jews. Unfortunate, tragic, tragic, tragic. This started already with the splintering of Israel into two kingdoms under the son of Shalomo, of King Solomon. King Solomon's son, Rechabom, says the ten tribes broke off from the kingdom of Judah. So it's all one kingdom, Israel, under King David's progeny, King Solomon. We said it was the highlights. That was the heyday of the Jewish commonwealth. King Solomon was the heyday of the Jewish commonwealth. It was peace, prosperity. He was like the first Mashiach. He was like the first Mashiach, David, Shlomo. The heyday of the Jewish commonwealth, the peace, prosperity. All the nations came to learn Torah, learn wisdom from King Solomon. And uh, we were not allowed to officially take converts. Things were so good. The whole Everyone was coming to convert to Judaism. And the Gemara says we weren't officially allowed to uh, accept converts. Things were too good. Everyone wanted to be Jewish. Things were so good. Imagine a world where things are so good for the Jews. Everyone wants to be Jewish. Hard to, hard to imagine. Everyone wants to be Jewish all of a sudden. It says when the Mashiach comes, the non-Jews, I think 10 non-Jews will grab onto the coattails of every single Jew and say, teach me, teach me, teach me. And you know what the answer will be? I don't know myself. How am I going to teach you? So we have to learn. We have to be able to teach us. We're going to be the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, we'll see in our day. And unfortunately, son of King Solomon was not as wise as his father. And the kingdom splintered into two parts. Israel, northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, two and a half tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and leftovers, the Levi, and the Kohanim, the parts of Levi. So two and a half tribes left in Judah. And that's the first splintering of the Jewish people, unfortunately. And then what happened is, even later on, in 732 BCE, this is before the first temple was destroyed, the northern kingdom of Israel, under Pekach, who was the king, attacked Judah. There was a civil war between Jews. The northern kingdom of Israel against the southern kingdom of Judah. So what happens? Pekach, the northern king of Israel, allied his nation with the Syrians. Can you imagine? The Jewish kingdom of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, allies with Syria. And they come and attack Judah. Imagine, they attack the southern kingdom of Judah. And they plundered, they raided Judah, mercilessly plundering and killing. And eventually they appeared before the walls of Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the king of Judah at that time was Ahaz, who was not known for his religiosity. He was an idol worshiper, a terrible idol worshiper. And Ahaz goes sends messages to the superpower of the day in Assyria. The Assyrians were the superpower of the day. And come, help me. I get, he gave them tons of gold and silver. And sure enough, the king of Assyria heeds his cries. Oh, yes, you want help against Syria and against the northern kingdom of Israel? My pleasure, I'm coming. He comes and he attacks Syria and he conquers Syria. And he sacks Damascus and he annexed the whole of Syria, became part of Assyria. Syria became part of Assyria. And according to the book of Kings, 
second book of Kings, chapter 15, verse 29. The king of Assyria, Tiglat Peleser, attacks Israel and takes the Gilad and the Galil, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. So Israel was truncated, the northern king of Israel was truncated. It continued to exist within the reduced territory as an independent kingdom until around 720 BCE. Until 720 BCE, where the northern kingdom of Israel ceased to exist, it was attacked and taken over by Sargon II, king of Assyria. He took 27,290 people captive from the city of Samaria alone, Shamron, the city of Samaria, the capital city of Israel. We have the records in the book of Kings, second book of Kings, the end of the second book of Kings, and the end of Debrei Hayamim. We, we know how many people he took from the city of Samaria, 27,290. And this was in part because Jews were infighting among Jews. The northern kingdoms of Israel attacked Judah. Judah appeals to the Assyrians, the superpower of that time, come and help me against the Jews in the northern kingdom. So Assyria obliges destroys the northern kingdom. So infighting among Jews caused destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel and eventually the southern kingdom of Judah, unfortunately, in the first temple's destruction. Okay, then we have the second temple period. In the year 67 BCE, 67 BCE, that Israel was under the Maccabees. The Maccabees, the great Maccabees, they fought the war in Hanukkah. We all know the story. Eventually, one of the big Maccabean kings, they were Kohanim, they were priests, and they were also kings. Imagine, the high priest was the king. The king of Israel was the high priest. The king of Judah at that time was Yohanan or Yanai Hamelech. King Yanai was Yohanan Kohen Gadol. He was the Kohen Gadol, Yohanan, who eventually, the one says, became a Sadducee, where you have to talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Here come the splits among the Jewish people, tremendous splits among the Jewish people and uh, tremendous infighting, but let's go into what happened to his sons. So Yanai HaMelech, who was the king of Israel, one of the last Maccabean kings of Israel, he was married to the righteous queen, Shalomi HaMalka, Shalomi HaMalka, or also known as Shlom Sion HaMalka, there's a street in Yerushalayim named after her, she was a very righteous queen. When he died, she became the queen, and everyone was happy. She was a tremendously good queen, a righteous queen. Her brother was a famous rabbi called Shimon ben Shetach, who revived Judaism in Israel. So it was a tremendous time, 11 years of peace, prosperity underneath Shalomi HaMakak, Alexandra Salomi. It was an English name or Roman name, Alexandra Salomi. And uh, unfortunately, she had two sons, Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. Hyrcanus and Aristobulus, you can already see by their names, they were Hellenized by the Greeks. So imagine the Maccabean kings adopted all these Greek names. They were Hellenized by the Greeks. And Hyrcanus was weak, but he was the older brother. So he became high priest under his mother. And when his mother died, she appointed him to be the next king. He said the Maccabean kings were Kohanim. He was the high priest and the king. Hyrcanus became the high priest and the king. Unfortunately, his brother, Aristobulus, was much more powerful, very charismatic, very powerful. He wanted the kingship, and he, they had a big, massive civil war. 
tragic, another civil war, Jews fighting Jews, two brothers fighting each other. What do they do? Stalemates, they appeal to the nearest superpower. Who is the nearest superpower? Rome. Rome at that time had taken over Syria under Pompey. The general Pompey was the general of Syria. They have two delegations, actually, the rabbis say there are three delegations one from Hyrcanus, one from Aristobulus, and one from the rabbis. Come and make peace in Israel. Uh, Hyrcanus says, be on my side. Aristobulus says, be on my side. And the Romans said, okay, we're coming. We've got no problem at all. We'll be only too happy to please you all. We will take over Israel. Instead of you guys fighting, we will make peace in Israel. Pax Romana. We will make peace, peace of, of, of Rome, peace of Rome. So instead of peace, we have pieces. Uh, infighting, both the first temple and the second temple caused our destruction. And this is the lesson we have to take with us of Tisha B'Av is, number one is, don't worry, I'm not ending, I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so Tisha B'Av, a lot to talk about. Number one is they rejected God and the land of Israel. That's number one. They rejected God and the land of Israel. Number two is brothers never got along. We never got along with each other. When we have peace amongst ourselves, no one can touch us. When we have peace among ourselves, no one can touch us. When there's infighting among the Jews, then we're weak, we're vulnerable. Thank God in Israel, there's one army. Thank God. And we have to thank God. It's a miracle. The Haganah and Etzel. We all know the story with Ben-Gurion and uh, Rabin, who was a general, and they set fire to this, uh, the boats bringing in uh, uh, weapons for the Etzel. They wanted one army. And thank God in Israel, there's only one army. There's one Air Force, one Navy, one Knesset, one government. Israel will see a strong, powerful government. For the next election, <laughs> see the problems continue. We cannot elect a strong government because there's so many splinters. Uh, I don't know how many parties there are in the Knesset, maybe 20, I don't, I don't know, I, don't, I can't keep track. So there's so many splinters, but at least, you know, somehow we remain united. The Israel Hashem will continue to be united in the land of Israel. So uh, we have all these fights, can you imagine? So Pompey comes to Jerusalem, 69 BC, 63 BCE, and Rome takes over, he walks right into the Holy of Holies, committed Pompey, but he walks right out. We don't know what he saw, enough to see he went out again. He let the Jews keep the temple and continue the Roman, uh, the temple services. However, Israel was now under Rome. In 63 BCE, Israel was under Roman domination. Why? Because two brothers had a fight. Aristobulus, Hyrcanus, they both wanted to be kings and high priests of Israel. And you can't have two rulers. Civil war led to the Roman invasion. Okay, I'm going to go now to the Talmud. This is a Talmud, famous Talmud in Yuma, Daftet Amud Aleph. And here the Talmud goes through destruction, starts off with the destruction of Shiloh. People don't realize Shiloh was the Mishkan, it was portable in the desert. When we came into Israel, it was set up in a place called Gilgal for 14 years, and from Gilgal it moved to a place called Shiloh, and uh, Shiloh is one of the names of Moshiach, but uh, Shiloh was a place, and now it became uh, Yeshuv, there's a Yeshuv in Israel, the West Bank, called Shiloh, and they have unearthed 
archaeological dig, they found the remnants of this Mishkan in Shiloh, which was actually built out of stone. Only the roof was the same roof of our temporary Mishkan. So the roof was the same material as the roof of the Mishkan. It was built out of stone. It lasted for hundreds of years. The Mishkan of Shiloh, before the first temple was built by King Solomon, he had a Mishkan in Shiloh, uh, which was destroyed under Eli, the prophet. So the Gemara says, why was the Mishkan in Shiloh destroyed? And it says, because of two things, because they desecrated the holy foods, which they brought to the temple, and uh, there was immorality going on. So two reasons why the Mishkan of Shiloh was destroyed. And then the Mishkan moves to uh, Nob Ira Kohanim. It was destroyed by King Saul, can you imagine? Uh, when he thought that they were helping David, who he considered a traitor. We talked about this when we talked about Sirius and King David. He destroys the city of Nob Ira Kohanim, where the Mishkan stood. And the Mishkan and the Aron Kodesh moved, eventually ends up in Kiryat Yarim, today's Telstone. Kiryat Yarim, another name for Kiryat Yarim, they called it Telstone because the Yeshiva tells a part of it moved to Kiryat Yarim, which is called Telstone today. And then eventually King David takes the Aron to Yushalayim. He builds a temporary tent like structure for the Aron until King Solomon builds the temple in Yushalayim. So the, the Shiloh is destroyed says, for two reasons. And then it talks about the first temple's destruction. Okay, so it says, first of all, it says, Amar Rabba Barhana Amar Hashem Fear of God adds days. And the, the, the years of the wicked will be cut. So righteousness leads to long life, and the years of the wicked will be cut. What is it referring to? So look at uh, what he says. He says, the fear of God adds days. That is the first temple. It's one of the first temples. Ahmad stood 410 years. The first temple lasted 410 years. And there were only 18 high priests during the 410 years. 18 high priests. I'm just doing a quick calculation. 410 years. 18 high priests, 410 years, divided by 18. Each high priest lasted approximately 22 years, 22 years each. So obviously you have to know the high priests lived a long time. But by the time they died, the next high priest was also old. So between them, it's like they overlapped 22 years, commanding 22 years each high priest in the first temple. There are 18 high priests over 410 years, right? 410 years, 18 high priests. In the second temple, so that's Yerat uh, Hashem, the fear of God increases days. These high priests lived a long time. They lasted a long time. And in the second temple, it says, so the first temple, 410 years. Second temple, 420 years. There were more than 300 high priests in the second temple. So 300 to 400, uh, you know, they barely lasted just over a year. Just over a year each. Okay, so, and it tells us now you have to reduce it by 40 years 
we had a high priest called Shimon Atzadik, the righteous Shimon, who was the one who greeted Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great made peace with the Jews based on this high priest who was big tzaddik, Shimon Atzadik. He's buried here at Yushalayim Mirak Kodesh in a place called Shimon Atzadik. The neighborhood is called Shimon Atzadik. He's buried over there. And Ushmonim, and Yohanan Kohen Gadol lasted for 80 years. He was the high priest for 80 years. Man, he was a record. He was a record 80 years to be high priest. Esther Shishimesh Ishmael ben Pabi. Ishmael ben Pabi was high priest for 10 years. And Rabbi Azab ben Harsum also 11 years. And you take away those numbers, you get these high priests didn't last long. Why? because they bought the office. The Romans would sell the office of high priest to the highest bidder. They would go into the high, to the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, and they died at Yom Kippur. They'd go in and they'd be pulled out. So they would tie their legs with chains so that when they died in the Holy of Holies, they wouldn't have to go in to get them. So these guys were, were not righteous. They bought the office of high priest. They wanted to act high priest. They wanted to wear the garb of the high priest. Tremendous honor. They didn't fill out the year. They would die on, on Yom Kippur every time they went into the Holy of Holies. Eventually, they got wise, and instead of going in themselves, they would get the gun. The assistant deputy high priest was righteous to go in instead of them. But anyway, so you see 300 high priests in the second temple. So that's what it says. The years of the wicked will be cut. So these guys, imagine, we had high priests who were not really high priests. They were fake. They were fake high priests. They wanted the official title. But they didn't want the righteousness that went with that title. It's a big responsibility to be a high priest. As we know, the Bible tells us about Aaron, the high priest. He loved peace and he chased peace and everyone loved him. And when he died, it says the whole of Israel mourned for him. When Moses died, it doesn't say the whole of Israel mourned for him. When Aaron, the high priest, died, most beloved figure probably in our history, the whole of Israel mourned for him. So that's the high priest. That's a real high priest. So that is. So now, why was the temple, the first temple, destroyed? So the Gemara asks, Mikdash Rishon, the first temple. Why was it destroyed? Because of three things that there was going on. Hard to imagine idolatry in the heights. I imagine that in the big temple itself. The priests were corrupt. Second, the first temple, the priests were corrupted at the end of the first temple period. They were worshipping idols. We talked about Ahaz, who contacted the Assyrians. He was one of the first idolaters, the first kings of idolatry of Judah. Judah was much better than Israel. Northern king of Israel, tremendous idolatry under the first king um, who, uh, who set up three golden calves. Can you imagine in the northern kingdom of Israel, they had three golden calves. In the southern kingdom, pretty much no idolatry till eventually, hundreds of years later, you have the king Ahaz, and then Menashe, and then other kings who were idolaters, pagan idolaters, set up idolatries in the holy temple. Idolatries in the first temple, idolatries in the holy temple. So number one is idolatry. Number two, immorality. There was tremendous immorality going on among the higher classes. The upper classes of the Jews became corrupted. By Ishman, Yeshurun, by Yavat, Yeshurun will become fat and be corrupted. And that's what happened in the first temple. They were very wealthy. 
They afflicted the working classes terribly. They instituted compulsory slavery for the working classes. Terrible, terrible. They took advantage of the working classes. They were immoral people and shfikud damin, and they ruled with iron fists, with the murder, murdering innocent people, just to keep control over the Jewish people. So the first step was destroyed for three cardinal sins, idolatry, immorality, and murder. Now, again, Hashem judges the righteous. It says, kechut ha-se'ara, with the hairbreadth of the uh, hair. So what does that mean? He's very, very strict. First temple, we have to understand this was not the majority of people, it's a minority of people, but they were the people in control. There were a lot of righteous people, never sinned, and yet these people in control caused our destruction. So even though the prophets would tell them to repent, 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 see the last prophets, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, Yerminyahu, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Tess, Hulda, the prophet Zechariah, was killed in the temple. Man, they killed the prophet in the temple. Okay. So that's the first temple was destroyed for three things. And the second temple, Mikdash Sheni, the second temple, Shayu Oskim Torah Mitzvot. They were learning Torah and doing Mitzvot. Ubirut Hasadim, they were doing acts of kindness. Why was it destroyed? Because they hated each other. They could not get along. The Jews split it into so many groups. It says, when the Titus had a siege around Jerusalem, there was blood coming from under the walls because Jews were killing each other in Jerusalem itself. If we were united, no one could touch us. Can you imagine? If we were united, there were so many groups of uh, vigilantes, vigilante groups in Jerusalem who were fighting each other and they burned each other's food. They burned each other's supplies. Hard to imagine. Very hard to imagine. And... Uh, terrible destruction in the second temple even though they they're reputedly religious on the outside they hated each other and killed each other for no reason they hated each other that's the second temple sinat hinam which i already talked about how brothers hate each other the northern kingdom of israel fought the southern kingdom of israel judah the the two brothers of shlom Sion hamalka fought each other and brought in the romans so that's the lesson we have to learn we have peace and security here in Israel and around the world. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.